where I was able to actually overcome uh, eating disorder, like behavior oh, wow. through ballet. It was really weird because like when I started, so I took a year to train specifically in ballet and technique. And I, when I started, I still had that disordered behavior. But when I was finished that year, I was, I realized I was like able to kind of overcome it. Welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today, I'm here with Peyton Seeger, host of Deep Talks, a talk show connecting the conversation on mental health to everyday life and founder of the Power On Initiative, a nonprofit organization shining the light on the conversation on mental health through digital media. To learn more about the Power On Initiative, go to www.thepoweroninitiative.com. Peyton, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you really? Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm okay. I'm tired. Um, I'm going back and forth between um, where I go to school and home, which is Toronto. And so I'm like, <laughs> tired, but I just came back up here yesterday. Um, but we're good. We're good. I love that. It's so exhausting going back and forth, right? I spent it the is. last year going back and forth constantly and I was just exhausted 24 7. Yeah I didn't realize how much it actually affects me until like now um but it's like it's also like the emotions that are like part of it because it's like I get comfortable at home but I like I need my space and I'm like excited to come back here and once I'm here I don't want to go back home and it's like oh it's an emotional roller coaster. It is it is. Post-secondary school is just one big emotional roller coaster. Right. So tell me a little bit more about um, Power On Initiative and how you got started, because you have this amazing pain of purpose story and you started this actually in high school. So let's yeah. talk about it. Um, yeah. So it's literally pain to purpose. Um, our queen, of course. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, it's starting in high school. Um, but basically, I was born with mental illness. I was born with anxiety um and possibly depression I'm still not sure it was probably anxiety and then it like built off from that um but so I've entered the psychiatric system in Canada when I was seven years old and like <laughs> I remember being 10 years old and having to hide the fact that I was going to therapy and it like it didn't really make sense to me because it was like when people go to the doctor you know they come back you know they can say oh I'm going to the doctor why can't I say oh I'm going to see a therapist like what was so wrong with that um, and then I was really inspired by We Day. Um, that was, you know, that was really cool before it was all corrupt. Uh, <laughs> oof. Um, but I thought it was so cool how you could just like put on how like they did this huge show thing for giving back to just like paying it forward. And I immediately thought I was like, that's so cool. Like I want to do that. And I thought it was so cool and immediately I thought like what needs that kind of attention and already at 13 this I was 13 years old and I was like mental health literally needs that like like it needs it desperately um and so I uh, the first thing I did was I looked at the mental health awareness ribbon um I think we did this last time um (laughs) my favorite color has always been green the wall and I have a fidget cube that's green too <laughs> and I looked at the mental health awareness ribbon and it was bright ass green and I was like oh my god like what the heck? um I was like okay so 
it's like kind of set I guess like I just kind of like looked up I was like um and then I didn't actually find my voice as a mental health advocate until I was 15. Um I started proposing a mental health assembly um to my school and it took three years which is three years longer than it should have taken in my opinion um and then yeah so I've always wanted to have my own organization um, and so I started taking those steps in high school, kind of like to test run it and to see what it would be like, kind of. And so having that practice really helped me. Yes. Um, so after I, uh, okay, well, it kind of happened in high school, um, but also in post-secondary when I wasn't in high school, um, I was in situations that just made me really not want to work for anyone. Um, I've always wanted to work for myself, but this is kind of just like a push into it. Um, which was good. I guess I needed it, but you know, the way it unfolded, I could have done without. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now I'm working for myself, um, which is, it's really weird because it's like, especially being a not-for-profit, so I'm working for myself. Um, and it's kind of weird, especially being like a student. Um, but it's something that I, when I was in those dark spaces and when I was kind of in that like really dark headspace, like just like no way, like you can't see the other side. Um, I remember like wanting like someplace to look and someplace to go to that would have been safe and comfortable and something comedic, lighthearted, and there wasn't really anything there. So I took it upon myself and that's what Power On is for and the Power On Initiative um, and deep talks, the deep talk show, um, that's all, it's part of power on. So, but it's all about shining the, a light on mental health and in a different way than it has been before. Um, so not like too, too serious, more lighthearted and making the conversation easier to talk about. I absolutely love that because I felt that same struggle, right? Is that you're looking for some place to fit in, but your life feels so serious all the time when it comes to mental illness. You don't want to sit there and listen to people tell you what it's like constantly in such a negative, like down way. You get it. You've been there. You when people tell me what it's like, because it's like, you don't know. Everybody experiences it. One, everybody experiences it differently. And two, like, you don't know how I'm experiencing it. Like, exactly. you cannot tell me what I'm feeling. Exactly. And it's so frustrating. So frustrating. And you need a space where you can listen to people's stories and laugh and feel okay and feel kind of good about it. Like, oh, I've been there too. Or, oh my God, I'm glad that didn't happen to me. Or, oh my goodness, I just, there's so many different feelings and emotions you can experience, but it's nice to experience the good ones and it not to just be so draining. And that's yeah. what I found mental health to be with everyone else was so draining. So yeah. I love that you took it upon yourself to make this talk show that's kind of about connecting the conversation in everyday life but also making people feel good and lighthearted while doing yeah it. exactly that's like um I just filmed it um so the first episode of the school of sound mind which is a segment on my show new segment on my show um that's all about mood boosting and healthy habits and just mental health education mostly mood boosting um and I went to film with uh, my best friend his name is Percy he's a golden retriever um, who was at my college and I followed him around to learn about mood boosting um, and it's really cute. <laughs> I love that so much. Was that what was on your Instagram on the deep talks Instagram? The dog? That was that was before we were at the same place but that was before yeah it's him. 
I I love that and I love that you're having so you're adding on different like sections of the talk show right yeah so what are the different there's three right yeah there's three so there's the podcast which is detox which is basically like having a detox with a friend um just letting it out there and I'm you know connecting the conversation and um the two other ones uh they may or may not come out yet depends they're still in the works but um they're called the school of sound mind and not your comfort zone so the school of sound mind is like I said all about mood boosting and then not your comfort zone is all about pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and basically me playing with my anxiety for views (laughs) I love that (laughs) and that's never really helps you like get through your anxiety it's kind of forcing yourself through it and I know that like I guess I can kind of make this connection because as a dancer like when I was getting my splits it kind of helped seeing other people getting their splits because it was like okay they feel the same pain um and so I guess like battling my anxiety head to head um I'm hoping that other people with really bad anxiety can look at that and be like oh my god she's hilarious like and and people can think of me like just like making a fool of myself and think of that as like mental health or anxiety instead of like being like in a corner or like in a psych ward it's like it's like we have to look at it differently I love that I think a lot of people kind of feel like their anxiety overwhelms them and then they're stuck amen and since a lot of people don't have conversations on anxiety or specifically anxiety is often kind of there's that line between being anxious and feeling anxiety at a normal level and living with an anxiety disorder Yes. And yeah. that line seems to be very blurred in today's world where everyone's like, oh, I'm so anxious. I have so much anxiety over this. It's like, but do you have a normal amount of anxiety or are you having anxiety and panic attacks constantly with or without triggers that is messing with your life? I was really thinking about that last night. It's like, it's like everyone's probably experienced depression before, um, but you might not, someone who experiences depression might not necessarily have a depressive disorder and it's like you know people you know maybe you've experienced depression once in your life I'm somebody with a major depressive disorder so I experience depression every fucking day <laughs> and it's not like oh my god like don't talk to me like no I want you to talk to me but like it's just kind of dark in my head sometimes exactly and people don't have those conversations so then a lot of times I feel that people start to feel a little depressed or down and they're kind of spiraling in their head with am I living with depression? Am I, do I have a um, mental health disorder? Like what's wrong with me? Instead of what are the symptoms I'm facing right now and how long has it lasted? And is there things I can do to help me get out of it? You're kind of exploring where you are. Are you feeling depressed right now? Are you living with depression? If you're living with depression, what can you do? Is it really this dark, lonely place where you're stuck in bed all day, every single day and can't do anything? Or is, does that happen sometimes? And sometimes you're up and you're happy and you're upbeat. Is it a mix of both? What is it? But people don't want to have those conversations. So there's that blurred line between mental illness and a symptom or feeling of it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what I love about what you're doing with um, Out of Your Comfort Zone is forcing people to kind of understand that whether you're living with an anxiety disorder or you're just facing anxiety, you can get through it. Yeah. But you're also kind of sharing the difference. 
which is yeah. really important. Yeah. I mean, one big thing that I just got over with like anxiety was the COVID, uh, the needle. Um, I know that in the States that you, because you told me that you guys got them like way earlier, but like I just got my second dose. How many days ago? Hasn't even been a week yet, but <laughs> I was so scared, especially the first time, like the first dose I went in and I was shaking so, well, I was shaking both times. Well, I was like a chihuahua. Um, and, but like the first time, they just looked at me and they were like, yeah, she's going into that room. So like I was separated from everyone, um, but even separated from everyone lying down on like a cot, I still almost passed out. And it was like, needles already freaked me out. But the fact that it was the COVID needle, it was like, my anxiety was just like, bye. No, 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 we can't do this. So I <laughs> you did it. But Twice. what was it like afterwards? Did you use anything to kind of help you cope through it? Yeah. Okay. So what I realized is like, I did feel sick after the, um, like just like a tiny bit, just like icky both times after the needle, but what it actually made my anxiety worse. Like, even if like, I'm like the slightest bit, not okay. My anxiety just skyrockets. And so having the needle made my anxiety skyrocket the first time it was because it was in me and I didn't know how it was going to react. And it was the COVID needle. And I've been hearing, I was hearing so many controversial things. So my anxiety is just going, oh my God, it's in me. Oh my God, it's in me. Oh my God, it's in me. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> and then once I lived, um, <laughs> um, then things were kind of okay. Um, but the second time they were really, really smart because they actually got me to, to do the splits, to get up and show, show them the splits um, after I got my needle, which was, which like, I didn't feel anything like yet. Um, and it was like, it got me like my, my, my brain distracted and they got me distracted so that I wasn't thinking about the needle and it being like in my body and in my blood and instead I was thinking about oh my god I'm doing the splits look <laughs> that's such an amazing tool that I think doctors and nurses use is distracting you because sometimes things are really causing high anxiety they feel overwhelming and it's because you're inside your head and you're thinking constantly and you're overthinking and you're overthinking you're overthinking and when you have something that distracts your mind, even for a second, it can help relieve so much tension. I recently got blood work done and the nurse sang um, a Disney song to me. I think it was part of your world. Aww. Right. And I'm like you, I have a giant fear of needles. If my parents can't come hold my hand, I cry and they weren't able to go with me. And she sang to me and for the first time, I was like, okay, I was fine. Sometimes oh, we need that distraction. Yeah, to get that's like my, the, the second dose, my nurse held my hand. Oh. But even so, like, like in, uh, it was Toronto Public Health and then York Region Public Health, or anybody listening from Canada or Ontario. Um, I was like, I was being somebody who's that anxious and I'm especially like hard in medical situations because of my anxiety. Um, I was, I'm like, I don't even know what to say like it was just it was so great um seeing the nurses in the way that they handled me um because I'm especially hard like I said and they did an incredible job they were able to calm me down and they made me smile and laugh every time and they were doing everything that they could to make me comfortable and that was like I couldn't have asked for anything more especially in that situation so good on that I love that and I'm so happy that you were able to find people out there to be that supportive lighthearted. Thing that you needed and like that's what we need in mental health and that's what you're bringing to mental health is that lighthearted energy that makes 
it okay. That just makes it okay because sometimes it really isn't okay and it doesn't feel like it's okay. But when you laugh, even if it's for a second, everything can feel okay. Yeah. And we need that. Laughter is the best medicine. I've always, I've always believed that. (laughs) I completely agree. So back to power on, what are some of the initiatives that you are running with it? Okay, well, the first one, obviously, we just talked about it, is the Deep Talk Show, which is all about connecting the conversation on mental health to everyday life. Uh, it's based on YouTube, but it's also a podcast, like we just talked about. Uh, I'm doing Dance at Depression. Oh, what the heck? What is that? So I, I, it's like me, but it is definitely inspired by Power On. I, I, it's like me, but it is definitely inspired by Power On. Um, it's not, I, it's just, I do TikTok dances. Um, I try to do them um, like as much as I can um, and I just I do TikTok dances with the hashtag dance out depression to dance out depression because I have depression and I know that and you this actually works with panic attacks or anxiety attacks if I'm in like a rut I'll dance and it usually helps so I wanted to see hopefully people can see me doing that and then that can make them feel better but they can also do them as well and that can also make them feel better scientifically that's supposed to make you feel better it does because um exercise releases endorphins endorphins make you happy but i love that so much because there's a lot of healing through movement there's so much healing through movement have you ever tried dance therapy i've i mean i've danced since i was four (laughs) so yes no maybe it's always been therapy to me, especially, and this is like weird, especially ballet to me has always been, especially, has been especially therapeutic. I love that. Well, I love all dance. Like I really do like all of it's therapeutic, but there's something about ballet where I would just like walk in and everything would go up in the air and it's just, you, it takes so much focus, I guess. And just, I get to be a ballerina. So <laughs> there's something about it. I love that so much. I think a lot of people can relate to that, whether you are a dancer or if you're just someone who likes music and just put on some music and move your body. There's so much. Or sing, even if you're bad. Yes. It releases something within you, releases a lot of tension and stress and helps you kind of relax even for a moment. I used to watch, um, well, used to, I still watch Grey's Anatomy and every time they dance it out, I'm like, yes, and I will like call my friends and FaceTime them and dance it out with them because it's yes. something that's so healing. Yes, I do that all the time. Like if I'm studying, I'll just like break, I'll break out into the split sometimes. I love that yeah. so much. It's really important to find that coping mechanism that helps you and that works for you. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Dance for sure is a, is a huge one for me. Um, okay. And it's with ballet, I talked about this on my show, but I was able to actually overcome uh, eating disorder like behavior through ballet it was really weird because like when I started so I took a year to train specifically in ballet and technique and I when I started I still had that disordered behavior but when I was finished that year I was I realized I was like able to kind of overcome it and it was it was weird (laughs) that's amazing yeah I don't know yeah I you know was it just one of those things that you realized at the end like wow I have overcome this or did you start to see it during it was more at the end it was definitely more at the end I was like wow I was able to overcome that 
I know that and that just shows the healing powers of yeah, your body like that um that leotard was so intimidating at the beginning and now it's like <laughs> I love it I have my favorites um for any dancers listening my favorite um is a Yumiko um they're really fucking expensive um <laughs> but it's really nice it's like a square neck it's kind of high and it's yeah it's a camisole I love that. So what are some other coping mechanisms that you use? I like to draw too, or uh, I can't, I like to doodle and color. Um, And like anything in the arts, really. Um, Dancing for sure. Acting, singing. I can sing, but I'm too nervous to do it in front of people. (laughs) I'm working on it. Um, And TikTok. Those are really great coping mechanisms. Number one, I think one of your um, out of your comfort zone episodes should be you singing, throwing that out there. That's a really good one. I know, (laughs) I know. That's gonna happen. I'm putting it out there. I know it's gonna happen, so I'm not ready. (laughs) Okay, I'll do it for my Zadie. I'll do it for my Bobby and my Zadie. They love to hear me sing. But it's so amazing to have coping mechanisms that are artistic because it really helps you express yourself in different ways. I think mm-hmm. one of the hardest things when it comes to mental health is not knowing how to advocate for yourself, how to explain what you're feeling. Sometimes you don't know what you're feeling, but you yeah. can express it through art, through music, through dancing, through movement. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes you just need another outlet of expression. And it helps release a lot. So how did you learn which coping mechanisms worked for you? Was it a lot of trial and error? Did you just know? I feel like, well, see, I've been in, for like, I've been in therapy for more than half of my life. So it was kind of like a lot of things were kind of like handed to me and kind of like shown to me. Um, but there were also things like just knowing me and who I am that I kind of knew I just think like for a coping coping mechanism is just, it's something that makes you happy and something that you're comfortable doing. And so that it was, yeah, anything along the lines of dance, arts, it was, that's like, yeah, I'm here for it. So you mentioned, like you said, you've been in therapy for more than half your life. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard when you were in school to not let other people know. So walk me through that. What was that like? And what kind of thoughts were in your head that you didn't want people to know? Because I know there's that stigma. Mm-hmm. I really like that question. <laughs> um, yeah, so I remember I was when I started, I was seven years old, so I didn't really know what was going on. I was just like, my, like, my, she would, my psychiatrist would talk with my mom and I would just be playing. Um, it was probably, she's probably observing me playing. Um, I remember learning about that in class and be like, oh my God, she was doing that to me. What? <laughs> she was observing me, that bitch. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> um, but I remember being like 10, so in grade five, I think. And I remember just like, I was like fed up. I was like, I was like, like, I, I just, I don't understand why. Like, I think I, I probably got called out of class and everyone always says, you know, oh, where are you going? Like, why is your mom here? And I would just say I was going to see the dentist. It actually checked out because I had really jacked up teeth. <laughs> it like worked out. <laughs> but um, 
yeah, I, I was hiding it because I wasn't going to the dentist. I was actually going to therapy. And it's like, you know, I was conflicted about having to hide that. Um, even as a kid, I just thought that was like kind of sus. Um, and so I remember talking to like my friends and like people that I trusted and like taking them each like aside and telling them that like I had that like I'm little, that I'm going to therapy like and yeah it was that it's so kind of scary when we're afraid to tell people going to therapy because then it makes us feel like something's wrong with us yeah and I mean especially especially in the school setting um in post-secondary school it's different I feel like everyone's a little bit more chilled out and going their own way and a lot of university students also have mental illness so woo! <laughs> if that's just anything about the school system um yeah but in the school system especially like like in elementary school like that's when people like pick on you and in high school like, people pick on you so if you tell the wrong person like I remember being so scared to tell this one girl because I didn't want her to use it against me and be like you know you have anxiety oh my god you freak like you're going to therapy you freak like yeah weirdo or like oh you're doing therapy you're sick it would get away from me but you know what's crazy about that is the stigma has to come from somewhere that's something we're taught we're taught to think that someone going to therapy is crazy or something's wrong with them when therapy is like going to is literally it's treatment yeah it's like going to the doctor it's treatment (laughs) And it can be great preventative care if we use it as a tool instead of as a last minute resort because we yeah. wait. A lot of times we wait until it's too late and then we're like, now I should try therapy. Yeah. Or even with the wait times, like that's not, it's, yes. it, that's the therapy, like that's, that's a problem, but it's also even just the wait time. And it's like, what if you don't like your therapist on the first try, then you have to wait like another two years to find another one. Exactly. But that's, that's also why I created created power on so that people who were in limbo and who were in that like stuck space and like those waiting times that they can come and watch my videos and laugh at me with me or both just people a place to start I always say that you don't you might not know what to do you might not know how to do it and you might be waiting a long time to find someone who can help you but there are things you can do if people just had those conversations So by having these conversations and sharing things that you're doing, it might resonate with someone, whether it's something that works for them or it's something they can try and find out doesn't work for them. Either way, it's learning a little bit more about themselves and ways that they can get started. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm actually, I'm thinking about um, switching medications and I know that that's a, that's a subject that that's, it's a tough subject. um, And it's something like medication when it comes to like, psychiatric illnesses or just like anything mental health related when it, with medication it's so complicated and it's so hard um but you know I love I know there was BuzzFeed somebody on BuzzFeed did shared their story of finding medication and that like helped me that was when I was like 15 and I was like oh my gosh okay there's somebody else going through this too it's hard to find the right medicine And it's really frustrating because like if you have a cold, you have the flu, something is like a physical illness, there is one medication that's pretty much going to work or they know what medication is going to work for you. But very rarely is it like, oh no, you tried this, it didn't work, let's try another one. Happens, but it's a lot more rare. 
Yeah. And mental health, it really can be like trial and error for years before you find the right medication. I yes. saw a statistic where it was like, it takes an average of 10 years to get the right diagnosis and medication. Yeah, I actually, um, thanks to my mom, <laughs> um, I, uh, I did a study with KMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. I did a study with them where I spit into a tube and um, they tested my genes to see which medications would, re- would uh, react well, not well, and like maybe well. So that really helped uh, with my medication thing. But even still, like I was on and off of six different medications in four months trying to find the right one in high school. So, wow. Yeah. I love that that test is available because a lot of people don't know that that's an option yeah. and it's yeah. not something that's widely used. Yeah, it was for youth. Um, so it's not for everybody. I think you have to be 16 and under. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's really great. I love uh, the research that they do. That's actually, I would love to collaborate with KMH and do research stuff with them with Power On. Um, I think that would be amazing for you. Yeah. yeah. I hope that. I hope that happens for you because I think you'd be really, really good at that. Oh, it'd be so cool. Please, I'll be the I'll be the little monkey. Please, no more putting animals. I'll do it. <laughs> Use me. I'll do it. I volunteer tribute. I love that they have that option for youth because specifically, kids are more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD. Usually diagnosed as a child, but it takes so long to find the right medication. Sometimes they have the patches. They have the pills. They have so many different types of medicines and some make you angry. Some make you kind of like a mummy. Some make you lose a lot of weight. Yeah. And it's really traumatizing for a kid to go through all of that for years until they get the right medication that works for them. And it affects their schooling. Yeah. I remember there was a girl I went to school with and she, she told me um, that she was, that she had like started taking antipsychotics, but they just made her like a zombie. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that makes sense. But oh my gosh, like, I'm sorry that you have to go through that. And I'm sorry that it's taking its toll on you in that way. Um, And when um, with the anger, that was something that affected me um, because I've, I've, like I said, I I had anxiety as a kid, but I also had depression as a kid. I wasn't born. I don't know if I was born with depression, but I was born with anxiety for sure. Uh, But depression in a kid looks much different than in in an adult. And in a kid depression is anger and so I was very angry as a kid and then trying to do that with medication and like that's fucking around with your system like it's just it's not a good mix and it's not fun it's not and you never know what side effects each person's going to get when they try the medication yeah but there has to be some kind of better way out there so I hope you do research on this and find it because kids adults everyone go through years of trial and error with medication that really kind of turns them off from medication because they think nothing's going to help me if this doesn't work i've tried three different medications if this doesn't work nothing's going to help me i give up i'm broken i can't be fixed and that's it yeah no but there's medication i mean first of all medication is not the only thing um there's like holistic healing that more of like a natural and spiritual healing which is great um they're like cultural healings like that's also great like it's whatever works for you will work for you um what was I saying with medication oh um yeah I was really happy that 
um, my psychiatrist, she didn't push medication on me at all. I actually went to her and I said, I can't handle my anxiety on my own. Like, I think I need medication for it. And she let me, um, uh, and she was like, let me decide, which I really like that because I know that a lot of psychiatrists, especially when it comes to youth, um, they push medication on a lot. And so I was really happy that she didn't. Um, and then the medication that I had the first time only worked for a year and it stopped working after a year. And then that's when I was had to start trying new ones. And I was on and off of six different ones in four months. And I had to go to school with that, but like I was barely functioning. So <laughs> that could work for you. Yeah. It doesn't have to be medication. It doesn't have to not be medication. Mm. But I think that a lot of people feel like there's only one option because no one has these conversations. No one's talking about all the different options out there. I always tell people, go get your vitamin levels and hormone levels checked first. Absolutely. That's what the School of Sound Mind is. It's mood boosting and it's teaching you how to take care of your mental health. Because a lot of times it could be a vitamin deficiency or hormone level deficiency yeah. that's affecting you. Yeah. And going straight to medication that alters your brain chemicals might not be the right step. It might be, but it might not be. Yeah. And it, I, also, it doesn't just alter your brain, like it alters other parts of your body. Yeah. And it could be something that you have to do lifelong. So yeah. it's very important to see what, get a whole picture. A lot of times when it comes to mental health, we don't get a full picture. When you go and you break your arm, you go and get an x-ray. They look at your arm. No one looks at your brain. I was reading about this in the end of mental illness. And if we aren't looking at people's brains, we're not getting a whole idea of what environmental factors are influencing them, social factors, biological factors. And we just go straight to a guess diagnosis and then a guess medication or treatment plan. We're not giving them a real chance. We're not giving them a real fighting chance because we're just assuming and then throwing you into trial and error and that's it. And we're not looking at anything that can be impacting you. And sometimes it's something small that you don't realize that is affecting your mental health because your mental health is connected to everything around you. What you put in your body, on your body and around your body affect you. See, here's what I think about it. Like mental health, mental brain, your brain, your brain is like, the, is the most important organ in your body like your heart comes second because without your brain your heart would be beating so it's like yeah. but like somehow because it's mental health like it's not important but like your brain's your most important organ so like someone really like hello <laughs> is no one else making the connection it's so frustrating right because we could be helping people so much more effectively if we were giving them a full picture assessment. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm taking psych. That's why I'm saying it. Concussions about like literally dropping the brain and seeing what it does. I'm just like, oh my God, that's so fascinating. Well, and it's funny because that's most awful. of us- I'm like, no, are you kidding? It's so cool. <laughs> most of us will experience concussions throughout our lives. I had a very severe like random case where I've had like 11 concussions in one year I was a competitive cheerleader and I got into a uh, lot of car accidents okay, okay, okay. So, mm-hmm. and then no one did anything for it though yeah with the concussion there's isn't it just like no light and rest dark yes and, but no it, one was like this could affect your mental health or maybe there are mm-hmm. supplements you need to take for your brain those, think about no, it a concussion will affect your mental health exactly 100 percent. <laughs> there has to be some kind of supplements or environmental factors that you need to change around you 
for the best healing for your brain. Your brain still needs to heal when it is, when it falls, when it hits something, when it's, yeah. when I don't it, know how to explain it. it. It's your forehead and you're in the back of your head at the same time. Yeah, it needs to rest. Yeah. And it's more than just turning the lights off and staying awake for so many hours and then going to sleep and resting it off. It's so yeah. much more than that. And yet we've minimized it. And we haven't really looked at how it affects mental health and what we can do to help people. Yeah, it's like, that's what that's what people don't talk about either is that like mental health isn't just mental illness. It's also like traumatic brain injuries, strokes, yes. you know, brain diseases, everything like that. That that counts as mental yes. health. That is mental health. Mental health is brain health. Like exactly. Mental means brain. Mental means mind. Mental means like in your head, brain. It's <laughs> that's what it means. Exactly. And there are so many physical things that can attribute to your mental health. Literally. Literally. It's- there's so many physical things. You're invited. Yeah, there's the uh biopsychosocial hemisphere. So that there's the biopsychosocial sphere. So that's like basically like affecting you and your brain. So it's bio, there's biology, there's the biological factors, there's the psychological factors, and then there's um the social factors that's attributing to you your behavior and your mental health but it's so crazy how we know that we know what factors are out there that attribute to mental health and yet doctors and the medical community within mental health are not looking at it that way We're and going it's, not even, it's not even that it's also like politicians in government because they're yes. the ones you get the money from Exactly. We need to increase funding towards mental health research and towards mental health treatment. We need to make it accessible for all without excessive wait times. If someone is suicidal, you can't tell them to wait nine months to get help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no words to explain how broken that system is. Like you're going to die. I actually, I had a friend, I have a friend who actually, who tried to, who attempted to take his life. And he went to the hospital and they actually didn't keep him overnight. They were like, sorry, we don't have enough beds. You have to go home. Wow. I was furious. I was so mad. I was ready to like go down to that hospital and be like, listen, that like, like he literally just tried to kill himself. Like you're like, you're not going to admit him. Like yeah. you're going to let him go back out like that. Systems that are set up to be able to help us like psych wards and behavior health facilities are also working against us by not having enough beds, by having too many people and not enough staff to provide enough support and resources, not having enough funding for the actual resources that people need. And in psych words, it's not like making it a place of recovery, not a place of like punishment. Exactly. It's kind of like you're locked in a prison in a way. I've I've never talked about this before. I've never been in a psych ward. Um, when I, I really should have gone, like I, like there were multiple times, um, especially when I was a kid, um, and I was never taking the psych ward. My mom was totally against it because of, because of how badly it is in there. Um, it's terrifying how bad it is. There's a statistic that people hospitalized in a psych ward are 100, 200 times more likely to die by suicide upon discharge. You are finally getting help. And now you're being set up for worse. Yeah. Yeah. How does that happen? I don't it's know. so frustrating when people are inside a psych ward. First of all, when I was there, I didn't see the actual psychiatrist for over 24 hours. It was maybe 48 to 72 hours before I saw the psychiatrist. 
Then I get put on the same medication as everyone else, an antidepressant. I live with bipolar disorder. Didn't know that at the time. But if you give someone who lives with bipolar disorder an antidepressant, they will most likely go into a manic episode, which I did. So now I was sitting there thinking that I'm crazy and something's completely wrong with me and medication doesn't work. Therapy's not working. Nothing's working. I'm all alone. I don't deserve to be here. And I'm running that through my head every single day because that's kind of the story that I was handed by being given the wrong medication, wrong diagnosis and treatment plan, and then being told, good luck, you're on your own. Yeah. But if you were telling me I'm on my own and giving me all the wrong information to figure out how to get help, that's, that's like teaching a kid a math problem in school and giving them all the wrong formulas and then making them take that state test to get the school accredited or whatever it's called. I went to private school, so I don't know what it's called, but, um, and then giving them all the wrong information so that they fail. You're setting people up for failure. Yeah. And we can't do that. If you wouldn't do that in the school system, when it comes to getting your accreditation, you shouldn't be doing it for children and their mental health. Yeah. It's like, I, like I said, I've been in uh, therapy for over half my life. I've been in the psychiatric system. I've been trying to figure out the psychiatric system since I was seven years old. And like, I'm turning 21 now and I've still fallen through the cracks multiple times, but I've still come out the other side and that's like luckier and I'm luckier than other people because I've been able to come out of the cracks, but there are a lot of people who don't. I think that by you being able to come out of the cracks and to have so much passion inside of you to make a difference and show people that it's not always a story of loss, of giving up, of not being enough. There's also the story and the narrative where you keep going, you keep trying, and despite all odds that are thrown at you, you are able to overcome it and use it to help. Power on. Power on. Love it. Power on. That is you, and I'm just so completely amazed by you and so lucky that I've had the opportunity to connect with you. Well, I love what you do. I love the inspiring my generation. I think this conversation, especially about suicide is so, so important. Um, When I did the assembly um, in grade 12 and I finally got it, um, there was a section, like I put in a section to talk about suicide because it needs to be talked about. And I knew that, Um, but apparently there was somebody within the board and this was like a big school board. Like it wasn't even at our school, but it was somebody within the board um, who had passed by suicide. And then this is like two days before the assembly. And then they came, and then the principal or whoever came up to us and was like, yeah, you can't have suicide in here anymore. Like you can't talk about it. I was like, are you kidding me? Like this person literally just died because of this reason. And we're going to not talk about it. That's the problem. It's That's the problem. Silence That's we the don't problem. Talk. That's the problem. If all the, there's so many people out there who are feeling alone, who feel like they're not enough, like they shouldn't be here. And by forcing a culture of silence, you're letting people sit with those thoughts every day, thinking they're the only ones. Yeah, I remember actually, I remember after the assembly, uh, we ran two um, throughout the day. And I remember at both times having people coming up to me and saying, thank you, like, I really needed this. And I'm like, I was a 17 year old high school student. Like it took a 17 year old high school student to do that. Not somebody within the school. Like y'all aren't focusing on anything else. It took me, I did that. I did it because I knew something was wrong not you, because you couldn't figure it out on your own, which to me, that just pisses me off even more. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you're in a high school, like you are like 
children like I think adolescents are actually more vulnerable than children physically maybe not but mentally absolutely your hormones are going absolutely nuts um and like they're so like you're vulnerable and like just like high schools are doing nothing like like you're literally doing nothing and you're silencing them exactly and not only are your hormones going crazy there's so much stress and pressure on you. Your school yeah. is telling you, you need to go to college. You need to get a degree. You yeah. need to know what you want to do and what you want to study. And you yeah. need to do well enough to get into a top school, but there's all this financial pressure. So now you need to do well enough to get a scholarship so that you yeah, can afford to, to go. You need um, references. Yeah, we're putting so much pressure on these kids and we're not giving them any coping tools. We're not giving them any support that they need. We're making them feel like they're alone. Yeah. They're going through this alone and that, you don't deserve to be here because no one's talking about why you deserve to be here. Yeah. I know. It's heartbreaking. It is. But now we're here and we're making a difference and we're telling you that you need to be here. Exactly. Peyton, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I hope I can be back soon. 